Hello, hello and welcome to our show. This is your host, Maria Cernat. I am a Romanian-based academic. And uh, this is a special edition of our show on the barricades that is produced with the analysis.news. I have with me Boyan Stanislavski, as usual, the co-host of our show, a Bulgarian-born Polish journalist. Thank you for being here with us, Boyan. It's a pleasure. Hello. And a special guest and a co-host, Paul J. He is a journalist, filmmaker, the founder and the host of TheAnalysis.News, a video and audio current affair interview and commentary show and website. Check it out because it's very interesting. And uh, he uh, produced a lot of uh, films as a filmmaker and he was the chair of the documentary organization of uh, Canada. Thank you for being here with us, Paul. Thank you. So we are going to discuss this time, um, not Canada or the United States. We are going to move on the other side of the planet and we are going to discuss a very, very small country, <laughs> Romania. <laughs> and, uh, and another very small country, country like Poland. <laughs> Poland <laughs> and Bulgaria, because uh, Boyan being um, uh, Bulgarian-born has a lot of connections to Bulgaria, so he can provide uh, information from that. So let's move on. Uh, I, um, What is your question about these very important countries in this new geopolitical <laughs> um, context? Well, Romania is a very important country to me personally uh, because my video editor is Romanian. Oh. And he, he's been talking my head off. Um, <laughs> and that's partly my question. Uh, he has, I've worked with him for many years. Um, I would say we were in agreement almost entirely on, on almost all political issues, um, in, including uh, critique of. U.S. Uh, aggression, NATO, and so on, and which includes, you know, I've always said NATO should be abolished. I, I, I'm a dual citizen, so with my Canadian hat, uh, I, I've always advocated Canada should get out of NATO. But since the inva uh, invasion of uh, Ukraine, uh, he, my editor, has gone to what, what is close to a pro-NATO position. Um, He's gone to a point where he actually thinks at this time uh, there just shouldn't even be critique of NATO. It's deflecting from what the Russians are doing in Ukraine and that you can't blame all of this on, on NATO uh, or most of it. And I have to say some sections of the American left, uh, very, you know, in, in the scheme of things, pretty small. But in the global south, uh, maybe not so small, uh, are putting more blame on NATO than on, on, on Putin and Russia. And, and he's really objects to this. So I'm asking you, where, where is, is he a reflection of Romanian public opinion? Uh, and, and what do you make of, of him, uh, his, what his sort of his views? Well, he is the perfect expression and reflection of the Romanian public opinion, at least of the mainstream press and Romanian intelligentsia, uh, because most of our influencers, intellectuals, journalists, um, writers, 
uh, became very, very scared, I would say. And um, they said, look, we talked about how uh, Russia was a threat and we never believed it will end up in a situation like this, but now you have it. And also we have a very powerful security apparatus. And let me remind you that Romania may be a small country, but we are among the very few selected club of countries that paid 2% of their GDP for weapons and for uh, military expenses as NATO requires us to, even though we are very poor and 40%, 38% of our children live in poverty, we pay 2% of the GDP for NATO. And now the security apparatus had their moment and they said, look, look, we told you so, you see. And now President Johannes decided to go for more. And he announced that he will enlarge the, the expenses for military equipment to 2.5% from our GDP. So, yes, he is the perfect example and also leftists in Romania because they were mostly connected to NGOs, they were activists, they were people um, coming from very privileged social classes in Romania. They were not leftists, as in leftists uh, in unions, because unions are quite conservative in Romania and they are not... Uh, I don't know, very politically engaged in a way that they read Marx, Lenin, and they are leftists. They they kind of follow their interests, their class interests, but they don't, for most of them, they don't even understand what that is. And they are um, not connected, unfortunately, and not very uh, politically educated. So you had a, a specific brand of leftists in Romania that became very pro-NATO, that became very pro-American. They were pro-Americans saying that we are leftists, but we don't want to criticize NATO because we have this very big uh, wolf that is Russia and is threatening us. And it is so good that we live under the American thumb because at least we are protected. So this was the mentality. And um, unfortunately, Russophobia in Romania had very, very deep roots. First of all, because during World War II, Romanians had very, very nasty experiences with the Red Army coming here and uh, basically treating people in very harsh to say it mildly. I mean, there were war crimes, rapes, and even my grandmothers and everybody has this uh, phobia of the Russian army and what they did here. Um, that is one route. The second route was that Ceausescu, when he came to power, and usually in the 70s, he wanted to break free from the Soviets' domination, and he actually made a deal with Nixon. He visited Nixon, he took a loan from the IMF, and he wanted to break free from the Russians. And the way to do this was to prompt up nationalism to a level that is unbelievable, and also to demonize the Russians. And the third um, 
the third route i think is the the opportunistic uh, way our elites developed they wanted to be like the intellectuals from the and they wanted a seat at the table and they wanted validation from the west and they wanted to be recognized and for most um, Satyo, especially the leftist one, this is the perfect moment to show that they are on the good side of history and they are not bad, filthy leftists that would uh, somehow um, support Russia, but they are good leftists that are pro-NATO. And that being said, I think the situation in Romania, especially in leftist circles, is rather depressing since there is a very, very small minority formed of what they are calling nostalgics. There are people that lived during the communist um, era, so to speak, so they uh, they are rather old and um, they do not hold a grudge against uh, uh, the USSR and they do not regard it as uh, the hell on earth that the others said that they experienced uh, the, uh, the time before 1989. But apart from that, there are very few critical voices. And unfortunately in Romania, what you can find right now are people who are more pro-Americans than the Americans themselves. Why? Because because you, you as a Canadian or the American citizens, they have to live with the consequences of the insane politicians like Trump, like this almost senile individual that is Biden. So they see those people, they have to live with them, they have to live with the consequences of their decisions. So they cannot be blinded whereas in romania we live in a fantasy world where the american dream is still a thing here i mean the mayor of bucharest wants to build a statue for ronald reagan i i don't think that even no, we in already the united have it. states <laughs> you would find people wanting to build you know and you cannot imagine the mayor of new york advocating for something like this you know or the mayor of washington announced well, well let me let me ask you yes, how sir. has the invasion changed you and how you look at things or has it i know before the invasion we talked and i think you and pretty well almost everyone else commenting actually never really expected it to happen but now that it has uh, has it changed the way you look at things yes yes it it did in a way that I feel isolated in my attempt to discuss things from a more rational perspective. Because if you go along with the mainstream media and intellectuals, probably you feel good because you feel integrated and you feel validated and accepted, but there is no way out. There is no way out of, of this situation. Because if you believe, one, that Putin is crazy, it means that no room for negotiations. You cannot negotiate or discuss rationally with a crazy person. So negotiations out. Then if you believe that um, there is, he is crazy, then there is no dialogue. 
there are no points to be negotiated because there are there is only the situation as a very uh, interesting uh, professor Nikolai Petro put it i mean putting forward your ideas and expect the others to obey is not a dialogue this is what the prison guards guard do to the inmates this is not a dialogue a dialogue means that you are open to ideas and you are open to Compromise, isn't it? You cannot compromise with Satan. If Russia is Satan, if Putin is Satan, there is no room for compromise. If you believe that the hidden agenda of Putin is to invade also Romania and Poland and Bulgaria and restore the old power of the USSR, there is no room for compromise and discussion. There is no room for negotiations. It means that we have to prepare for World War III and be happy that we died on the right side of the history and take comfort in the idea that Zelensky will be happy with our choice. I mean, this is how it ends. There is no way out. There is no way out. And it changed my perspective on what? Of course, I didn't think that they would attack because... But I also in, I had this intuition that the Russians, unfortunately, because they were never forced to win elections, they have no soft power skills and they learn nothing from the United States in terms of toppling, you know, governments with soft power and with the CIA and with the secret services, unfortunately. It seems like the brutal way is the only way for them. And from my point of view, this is the way of a very limited, not to say even stupid. This is a stupid strategy because, you know, you can beat up somebody, you can force them for to obey, but for how long? For how long? And how are you going to, to move on? I mean, you defeat Ukraine, finally. It is my opinion that this, uh, this is very near because uh, I think most of the Ukrainian army is, is defeated. I think this is why the Western media is not telling and not selling any more uh, uh, stories about the brave Ukrainian army because the situation is rather bleak. But then what? Then what? Probably they have some cards they haven't played yet. yet. But in terms of Ukraine, I mean, you want to denazify I mean, you want to do them good by force, by killing those people in the Azov battalions because you think you can do better than their leaders and you can go there as a savior and not even as a savior. I mean, Putin's discourse before going to war is, I think, one of the worst discourses because he didn't learn even that from the Americans. The Americans never go to war against a country or a nation. They go there as missionaries, as saviors of the people. They never say that that nation doesn't have the right to define itself. They never say that. So how can you go there and say, that, oh, Ukraine is some sort of bunch of territories and population. They don't have a will of the... What are you talking about? This is not a way to go to war because this is a way to antagonize everybody. So this is this is what I think. Okay, let me ask Boyan. Thank you, Maria. Uh, Boyan, uh, be, before 
before we get too much into Poland, I just want to go back to the last time we talked about all this. And there was at one point you weren't convinced Russia was even amassing troops on the border. And then you and me and most everyone else didn't think uh, he would invade. The logic was almost threatening invasion was dividing NATO. Actual invasion would unite NATO. And I, so now that he's actually invaded, how does it change the way you look at, at, at Putin, at Russia and, and the situation and, and, and then get into how it's affecting Polish public opinion? Well, I was obviously wrong to think that Putin wouldn't invade uh, right now. Uh, and uh, as you say, as you said, most of us have made this mistake. And uh, to me, it remains pretty inexplicable up to this point. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not quite able to explain, you know, the Russian position here. And as Maria pointed out pretty, uh, pretty clearly, you know. Putin's unhinged speeches before the war, right before the war, they didn't quite help. I mean, it all makes no sense when you look at it in retrospect right now, because they, you know, he first said that the leadership of Ukraine are a bunch of drug addicts and alcoholics and stuff like that. Then he said something about Ukraine not really being a state. And then he accused Lenin and the Bolsheviks of... Uh, creating the Ukraine as, as this pathological entity as it is right now. And, uh, well, he basically accused them almost of inventing, you know, Ukraine. And, uh, you know, it all made no sense. It, it was a total chaos. And, and obviously, you know, when I saw him, his, like, he wasn't even in shape. Like, he was tired. He was kind of, uh, he was not himself. Like, uh, you know, when you compare Putin from you know the 20th 21st 22nd of february right before the invasion to i don't know one year ago february same time one year ago then you would see two different people so you know i really don't know what happened i mean i wish i i someone tells me that you know someone comes out and says like we uh, what actually changed and when now there are certain factors which we might discuss later if you uh, <clears throat> if you feel it makes sense you know what could have happened? There are some indications of that, but uh, as to my, uh, you know, as to my potential change of my views of, of of Putin or Russia, well, you know, I've always been politically and ideologically, if you like, critical of Putin and of his uh, regime, and and you know, I participated in all kinds of initiatives and demonstrations. Uh, you know, against Putin or against certain uh, some of his actions long before it became cool and trendy. So, uh, you know, in this respect, I would say that not much has changed in a sense that, you know, I wasn't expecting that he would actually launch a war on Ukraine. I mean, I wasn't expecting that he would do that now. What I was expecting, and I said that multiple times, maybe not in the program when, when I discussed with you, but I said that multiple times, and Maria can attest because she, uh, <laughs> she was there, that I, I, my position was that a war could happen and probably would happen when Ukraine finally attacks those two breakaway republics. And then, you know, Russians would use it as a, as a pretext to come in and, and you know, sort, sort out uh, the, the Ukrainian thing. And, uh, you know, there are some people saying that they were about to attack them and so on and so forth. There is no evidence of that so far. So I'm, I'm not, again, I'm, I just circle back to the point that I just don't understand why it is all happening. What is the, the, the main reason uh, that, you know, 
that convinced, obviously, the decision makers and Putin himself to launch this invasion. As to uh, the question of the amassing of, of, of Russian troops, well, I feel that my assessment at the time was correct because I said that they were, you know, I said they were not amassing troops on the border. There is no evidence of them amassing troops on the border, and there clearly wasn't any evidence. What uh, what, what was happening prior uh, at the end of the, the uh, at the end of last year? What was happening is they were they were putting more troops in the base, which is like three hundred kilometers away from. Uh, from the Ukrainian border. And, you know, you might discuss that, okay, well, it is amassing troops on the Ukrainian border. But, you know, then what happened at the beginning of uh, of the current year, they started actually taking troops away from there. So it was 100,000 sometime, uh, yeah, summer last year. Then it was 130 and 40,000 in November and December. And then it was about 90,000 and even less in uh, in January, so I, I again I have no idea what this was for. You know, some people say, including guests on our program, some people say that they were trying to show force to America that they were prepared to invade and stuff like that. I don't know whether any of this is true, but uh, well, let me let me let's go to Poland then, right? Because okay. uh, I think we should we could do a whole nother show, yeah, uh, on why we think Putin did what he did, but. For and now, why we think it, it was a mistake, because I think it was a mistake politically, as you pointed out uh, in the previous segment and now, but it was also a mistake, I think, tactically or strategically, because the war hasn't been going so well for them, you know, so. Yeah, yeah in, in, in many respects. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, but in terms of Polish public opinion, does it, has it reinforced to have a stronger NATO presence? Uh, Tell me exactly what is the state of missile systems in Poland? Would Polish public opinion actually accept a nuclear weapon? I don't, there, there aren't nuclear weapons in Poland no. now. Am I yeah. correct? Would they accept such a thing now where they wouldn't have before? I think uh, they wouldn't accept it now. Like if you offer it, like let's have it tomorrow, I think the public opinion would have to be wrecked a little more and it would have to be prepared and some anesthesia would have to you know, be administered in order to prepare the public opinion for that. I think that the current government is able to do that and is able to carry uh, out such a campaign because they control most of the media. And by the way, you know, because Maria said that the Russians have never learned anything from the Americans. Well, you know, they learned how to control the media and how to exercise soft power on their own territory and to project it on their own population. Because well, they, they did a pretty good job with RT in uh, North America, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. So uh, I, the current government in Poland is able to carry out such a campaign. And I think it's able to carry it out in a successful manner because uh, pretty much as in in Romania, in Poland, there are genuine anti-Russian sentiments and resentments. And, uh, you know, now they have been unleashed. And uh, so far, it's been pretty artificial because, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit like with, with this uh, Banderite Nazism in, in, in Ukraine. It, it, it has always been a problem, but it was, you know, somewhere on the fringes of the political life and it was controllable. But then, you know, after the coup in 2014, you know, the Americans, the West, like, you know, whatever, uh, NATO, they, they allowed this force, they unleashed this force to the extent that it basically took over a large part of the decision uh, making process 
politically in, in, in Ukraine. And there are multiple videos where, you know, even Zelensky complains about it or he tries to, you know, confront soldiers, you know, rank and file soldiers telling them that they have to back off from the positions that they've taken without the permission of the authorities. And the soldiers, you know, they insult him and say that you are not here to tell us what we're going to do and so on and so forth. So, uh, you know, they unleash this force without thinking much, probably, you know, what is going to lead to. And the same is happening now in Poland in the same, I mean, of course, we don't have Nazis in any kind of decision to, uh, making positions, but the same in terms of quality, like the Polish Russophobic kind of nationalistic gnosticism, you know, is now at at the forefront of the ideological, uh, uh, you know, the ideological front, if you like, of the of the public life, and uh, this makes things very unhinged, and this allows this government. That's why I, I I keep repeating that this war is a blessing for the Polish government, because they've almost ran out of any ideas how to disbalance the so the society emotionally in order to be able to rule further, and now they've they've got this great thing, and that's why they want to they'd love to have nuclear weapons and. And that's why they come up with all those crazy ideas that even the Americans have to shut them up. Uh, like the MiGs, you remember this? Uh, we mentioned that on, on, on uh, occasionally in our programs uh, in the past, so probably the, uh, uh, the, the viewers know. I'm talking about this idea that, you know, Polish MiGs, MiGs meaning uh, like uh, aircraft, military aircrafts from the Soviet era, from Poland and Romania and maybe some other countries of the former Eastern Bloc would be given somehow, I don't even know how this would happen technically, but would be given to, to pilots uh, or be would be made available to pilots from Ukraine to uh, to, to to wage an air war, you know, on, on, on the Russian uh, on the Russian planes or Russian military or whatever. And uh, this was crazy. This was obviously why, I mean, why, why, why on earth would they want a nuclear weapon on Polish soil? The Americans don't ever give up control of these weapons, so yeah. it's not like it would give Poland some extra leverage. Exactly. Uh, how, very... how the hell does it serve their interests other than to make Poland even more of a target? Of course not. Of course it doesn't. But this is, you know, well, that's that. That's exactly the problem. I mean, our elites, our political leadership, they don't think in those rational terms. Uh, it, it, what they think is uh, they have to be as obedient as possible to their hegemon. And they want to have a hegemon. They are not used to, historically even if you look at it, they're not used to any kind of, uh, you know, self um, self. Mm, they, they're not used to to be uh, to be independent, like that. They will take, you know, they will make decisions uh, which are going to observe the national interests of a given country. They see their interest as an elite, as as you know, the best they can do is to be as obedient as possible, so that they can, you know, get some respect from the, or at least you know, pretended respect from the uh, from the global decision-taking centers, and they can uh, perhaps play a role, some kind of role in the American Western uh, geopolitical game that they will be able to boast about afterwards to their own electorate. That's, that's the best they can hope for. I mean, there is no understanding on... And that... I'm, I'm talking pretty much throughout Eastern Europe, I mean, throughout the former Eastern Bloc, uh, with certain exceptions, like historically and even now, that you know you could do something independently, that you could do something without the blessing, the agreement, the 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 kind of uh, inspiration coming from the United States. So this 
this is why they don't think that way. If Had they thought this way, because I would understand that it's, it, it could be a rational choice. It could be. I wouldn't support that. But, you know, one could argue that let's, you know, let's put all our eggs in the NATO basket because NATO is the only way to, uh, to defend, you know, the country from Russian, Chinese aggression, whatever other aggression. And let's, let's do that. But, you know, if you want to do that, then you want to do that in some kind of manner which actually provides security. Right. Where is the security? And this is your question. Where is the security if we get like more military equipment here on uh, American military equipment on Polish soil? Well, that's just more targets for Russian rockets. Same goes for Bulgaria. Same goes for Czech Republic. Same goes for Romania. And actually, I remember even one interview uh, in the uh, the, uh, Bulgarian TV where uh, an analyst, uh, an analyst that I like, uh, you know, in Bulgaria, a professor was asked, like, but are you really anticipating that now the Russians are going to attack all those places, all those spots where the American military installations are being put? And he just replied by asking, are you asking me the question whether there will be enough Russian rockets? Well, there will be enough for everyone. Don't worry. You know, so this is this is pretty much the situation. I mean, they don't quite comprehend that by doing what they're doing is they're actually escalating the situation and endangering their own population and themselves, and they're repeating the 1939 uh, history moment. Like they're just offering to the Western powers their own territory, their own population, and their own military for their kind of for their for the Western ideas of how to manage things geopolitically in that part of the well, world. I think it's I think it's because there's so much money to be made doing that personally, yeah. individually. You know, the Bill Black, who I interview a lot about banking fraud in the United States, you know, I, I would ask him, you know, I don't understand. These guys who ran banks were deliberately getting uh, companies that did appraisals to artificially inflate the price and value of houses for bigger mortgages. They had to know this would endanger their banks. And and Bill would say to me, you don't understand. It's not about the banks. It's about the bankers. The individual bankers were making a killing out of all this. They didn't care what happened to their institutions. And I say you can say the same thing for American politicians, East European, or you name it. They're making money out of all this militarization, even if it makes absolutely no sense and actually makes the world more dangerous. Yeah, but, but uh, would you let me just finish my thought on, on on the question of, because I said that there is there is a potential concept that could be put forward where NATO is the guarantor of our security. But then I would like to see Polish politicians sitting at a table with, I don't know, the Americans, the Germans, and, and you know, saying, asking, where is the money? Give us money. We're going to, you know, buy arms. We're going to train our army. We're going to do, you know, we're going to triple or quadruple the, uh, our army and, and whatever the capacity is required to, to defend ourselves. And they're not doing that. They're just saying that, well, it would be great if the Americans come here and we will name the military base Fort Trump. That was really the idea, you know, and, and that's that's the best they can come up with. And, you know, those Americans, you, we, we've heard that before in recent history, like 70 years ago. That was exactly the same game. The British said, yeah, yeah, go for war. No problem. Go for war with Hitler. Everybody was afraid of the Nazi military might. Everybody was afraid in Europe of the of the military might of the Third Reich, except for the Polish. The Polish, you know, we're tapped on the arm. We're, we're told you're a great nation. Go for war. No problem. We have your back. And that was it. It it ended with a complete obliteration of, uh, of of the Polish state. And had it not been for the Soviet Union, probably there would have been no Poland. But that's that's an, so. So I just wanted to make that point to sort of you know explain it. 
I okay. Well, I know I just, I, 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 I'm, I'm putting in my hand here only because I was told when we started that Boyan had to go. Yeah. So you tell me, do we, should we do just schedule another session? Yeah, well, I think we should. Sorry. Yeah. I have to go in five minutes. I'm sorry about that. Do you want to have a quick last word, Maria? Uh, yes. Uh, I, I just want to say that President Johannes dreams about becoming the next head of NATO. He even discussed this and he discussed this. And I think one of the um, important persons is Mircea Joana, also a Romanian. For, and I think for the Romanian leaders is a way to climb this, um, this hierarchy and to reach higher paid and very safe positions in NATO. At least this is my understanding. And I also want to say a detail here. I think it's important. We have an army general as the prime minister and also an army general who plagiarized his PhD thesis. There is a scandal in Romania related to that. So good luck with these people defending us in case of a war, you know. Yeah, I, 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 I'll believe it. I hope I don't have to see it when an American soldier will actually die defending Romania or Poland uh, and, 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 and risk nuclear war. But let's hope we never have to have analyzed that. All right, I'm not actually hosting this, so I'm going to say goodbye, but Maria's going to say the real goodbye. Okay, so this is it. I hope you liked it. And to the extent that you can afford, please go to our Patreon page for patreon.com slash the barricade and make a monthly subscription because it really helps us. Thanks a lot, Paul. Thanks a lot, Boyan. And we'll see each other probably next month when we will be discussing also important countries like Romania, Bulgaria, Poland, and... The and, and, yeah, and I, but I also want to say that we're going to be discussing, uh, the, uh, we're also going to be discussing uh, Hungary and Serbia, where they recently recently held elections, and you know the turnout is worth discussing, definitely. Well, while you're doing pitches, I'm going to be interviewing this week a Ukrainian uh, socialist, progressive activist, and she says all of us that are analyzing stuff are spending too much time with the geopolitics, with the Russia versus NATO, and we're not paying enough, enough attention to the struggle of the Ukrainian people for national liberation against Russia and NATO. Uh, so I'm going to be talking to her in a few days. It's going to be interesting. Okay. It's going to be interesting. So thanks a lot. Goodbye. Bye-bye.